Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Stephanie and Katie. I want to tell you the creation story of Purusha and Prakriti from the Hindu tradition. And it's also the story of Kundalini Shakti. It actually begins with two mythical lovers, as every good story does. Purusha and Prakriti were once one being, and it was said that when Brahman spoke the word Om, that it sent out a cosmic vibration, a little bit like a big bang, and it rippled out through the universe, and it caused Purusha and Prakriti to separate. Because Prakriti wanted to move from one to many, and she was willing to separate from her lover in order to do that. Now, in so doing, they gave birth to the universe, and this divided Purusha and Prakriti to opposite sides of the galaxy. But this is very different than what we know of in, for example, the Adam and Eve story, where Adam and Eve were two different beings, because in this story, Purusha and Prakriti were actually one being that simply divided into opposite ends of the backbone. And so Shiva, well, I should say that Purusha was the precursor to who we know to be as Shiva, which is the masculine counterpart. And he was kind of banished up to the crown of the head at the top of the spine. And Prakriti, who was the precursor for Kundalini Shakti, the feminine aspect of creation, was banished down to the sacrum at the very bottom of the spine. It's interesting that the sacrum in the Latin roots actually translates to mean holy bone or sacred bone which is really fascinating because in much of Hindu culture, the sacrum has been very sacred and is very tied into their creation story. Kundalini Shakti is actually a very big part of the chakra system. And a lot of this was what I had been learning and studying in my yoga teacher trainings. Even for those of you who are listening and you here, Katie, who may be familiar with the chakra system, most likely you would be able to say, yeah, there are seven chakras and, you know, one's down at the root and it works its way up to the crown. Is that pretty familiar to you? Yes. And that's um, really fantastic if you do know that context. What I didn't know until I was in my yoga teacher training is that there's actually much more to the chakra system than just these seven kind of ethereal floating centers in the body. But there's actually a backbone that kind of integrates and interconnects all of the chakras into one. And that's where Shiva and Shakti come into play. Um, If you were here with me in person, I could sit down and show you some really great images. But definitely Google this and look up um, the traditional depictions of the chakra system. Because what you'll see is an image of a caduceus, which is actually a Greek uh, symbol. And it's pretty fascinating that two very different cultures had a very similar symbol. uh, symbol. The Greek caduceus is the two serpents that kind of wrap together vertically. 
It looks a little bit like a double helix, which I know we talked about in the Bava episode of um, what DNA looks like. And it's also become the modern symbol for medicine. So that's probably the most iconic and familiar. What most medical professionals don't know is that they are touting a symbol that is anciently revered in Hindu traditions and yogic traditions and what they would consider to be a very alternative health um, model. And yet that the, the symbol is identical and it's pretty fascinating history. That is so interesting. You have to think about how many times it kind of reminds me of like when you say, Oh, um, are you not going the traditional way? You're going to birth at right. home. You're not going the traditional way in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, <laughs> let's talk <laughs> let's about talk tradition. About traditional. <laughs> how far back are we talking? <laughs> and then what was that reading the other day? I was thinking about how, um, just there's so many things that it depends on the context in which you paint it. Or if you explain it in these words, people will just shut their brain down and be like, that's woo woo. Right. But if you explain it in other words, like there are many things where there's a lot of like hard studies and like history looking into like where energy is in the body and it'll start to slowly come out now where it seems mm-hmm. so crazy. But then those things slowly come out where it's like, oh, that's actually real. Yeah. I just <laughs> didn't have enough context to understand mm-hmm. why that would have application or how those could both be true. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of blows my mind that every time I look at that like Western medicine symbol, I see the chakra system, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty yes. cool. Because <laughs> uh, I think that they're just two sides of the same coin. They're just t- talking about health and wellness from two very different sides of the spectrum. And I find so much value in connecting these two disparate stories, you know, of, of health. Now, where this kind of ties back into the creation story is that it's said that the serpent, um, what we would actually call it the channel that starts on the left side of the body and, and winds its way up is called the Ida. And this is the pathway that kundalini shakti energy travels in order to reconnect with her partner, her mate, her lover, Shiva, that lives up at the crown. And once they reunite and um, merge back together, then they travel down the right side of the body through the right channel that's called the pingala. And that's when we can invite that balance and integration back into the body. So it's pretty um, wonderful to know that not only do you have the Ida and the Pingala kind of interweaving together, kind of representing that masculine and feminine interplay, but there's also this beautiful staff right through the middle of it called the Shashumna. And you might even call that like the spiritual precursor of the spine um, where It's the kind of like the staff of life through which all of these things intertwine. So the real question here, Katie, is what does any of this have to do with birth? Yes, I am just like at the (laughs) edge of my seat. Where is she going with all of that? So many beautiful words. (laughs) Well, I thought that all of this was very separate from childbirth. I never would have connected any of these dots, but because I was just going through my yoga teacher training and, and was very interested in these things for one side of my life. Because we're mythology nerds. Because I am a mythology nerd. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But then on the other side, I was having babies and having real life experiences. And at some point I was reading a text from my, some of my curriculum and it started describing the symptoms of Kundalini awakening. And I was very intrigued and I was still very new to this language, Mm -hmm. but there is this concept in in yogic tradition of of 
when kundalini energy awakens and what that looks like. So I'm just going to read a few symptoms of what I read in the, in the textbook. So symptoms of kundalini shakti awakening. Shakes, tremors, tingling sensations, sensitivity to light, sound, touch. You can have pains in different areas of the body, like the back and the end in your neck. Rushes of energy, feelings of electricity in the body, hot and cold flashes, extreme sexual desire, whole body orgasm, emotional upheavals, emotional numbness, mood swings, depression, mania, trance-like, altered state of consciousness, antisocial tendencies, the surfacing of unwanted and repressed feelings, thoughts, or traumas. Now, I'll skip down to the end. And this last one was pretty cool. Bliss, feelings of euphoria, infinite love, universal connectivity, transcendent awareness. Now, I, at this point, was pregnant with my third baby. And when I read that list, I thought, this is crazy. I feel like they're pretty much describing pregnancy and birth and postpartum. Like the whole childbearing year could be summed up in everything that I just read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought that that was really interesting at the time and thought, wow, Kundalini Awakening sounds kind of familiar to me. I feel <laughs> like I've had all of those things, right? <laughs> but it was particularly when I read the surfacing of unwanted and repressed feelings, thoughts, or traumas. That's when a light bulb went off and, and I went to my yoga mentor, my yogi mentor, and I said, I'm just really intrigued by Kundalini awakening and I kind of want to learn more because I feel like there's so much, so much that's similar to like the childbirth experience. And she kind of just laughed and she says, Oh yeah, well keep reading. Cause there's so much out there that talks about how childbirth is one of the biggest instigators of Kundalini awakening. And in the yoga tradition, they talk about that. It's like a well-known thing. It's like Ayurvedic physicians discuss this regularly this is not just some ancient thing but even like there's modern dialogue around this mm-hmm. that's so on funny a different continent I, I feel like the way I explained it was like of course like my, I look through the lens of embodiment a lot because I talk a lot about my my separation from my body but I feel like when I'm pregnant my body talks to me and like is more talkative like they'll tell me a lot more things it's a lot more loud like I'm a lot more in touch with what it needs. And like I said, you have like things come up where it's just like, oh, I guess I care about that. And it's a lot harder to push things down. Like it's a mm. lot harder to, and I think it's why people say they're so, like pregnancy gets a bad rap for yeah. being irritable. But I wonder if it's actually just, it's not as easy to be a people pleaser and not as easy to shove aside our own needs wow. when we're pregnant. That's beautiful. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not just like the pregnancy hormones are making me crazy. It's, I'm actually, my, my psyche, my mm-hmm. body, they are trying to express their truths. Yeah. They're trying to bring up these things that I've been shoving down. They're yeah. trying to put light on all of it. Absolutely. I think that's beautiful. It's like a resensitization, you know, mm. like I, I feel like childbirth kind of brings us back to that like core essence, if we'll let it. Yeah. But I think what was interesting is that for me, it's safe to say that there was a lot of baggage that was kind of blocking my core essence from being able to be experienced in a blissful euphoric way. Because, I mean, what a comparison of symptoms. One is saying, oh, suppressed and repressed trauma and 
and all these undealt with emotions. And then the next symptom is bliss, euphoria, infinite love. And I thought that's quite a contrast. So some people experience Kundalini awakening very euphorically, and then others are like in manic depression. But again, that's why it brought me back to the childbirth context because I thought, well, that's how birth is too. I have friends who experienced the manic side and then friends who talked about how it was the most transcendent experience of their life. And that intrigued me. I wanted to understand how the experience could provide such a spectrum of outcomes or at least interpretations, right? Kind of like we talked about last time where the wave was kind of the same. Mm-hmm. but where you were in relation to the wave completely <laughs> changed and altered how you experienced the wave, right? Mm-hmm. So as I began to dig in into this more, I started to get really, to get some really cool insights. Um, one thing that's interesting is talking about Kundalini, Kundalini awakening in general, this is not something that's unique to women. All human beings, according to this tradition, have this energy within us, whether you are male, female, non-binary, it doesn't matter. If you're a human being, you have both energies of of Shiva and Shakti. And so this means that everybody has the potential um, to experience a Kundalini awakening. Some people go about it very intentionally. And and, um, Kundalini yoga is actually just a little branch of that. Um, They certainly don't own kundalini energy Mm. but that is one path that some people have taken in an effort to like train and discipline and awaken that energy very intentionally but even if you never undertake kundalini yoga and you've never even heard the word kundalini until right now in this podcast you according again to this tradition still have it within you and it will awaken in its own due time now that's i think it's really interesting to think about just for me at certain points in my life to be told like that I'm supposed to be masculine, like that masculinity is supposed to be in me would have been a very powerful thing. I agree. And I think that is like, for me growing up, I was like that tough outspoken girl where I feel like I've actually struggled more to connect with my femininity because I had this idea of what that looked like Mm -hmm. that was very just tight and narrow and one-sided, right? Very and rigid. it's kind of more of like one side or the other. Absolutely. Like either right brain or left brain, masculine or feminine. Like you can't be girly and be this. Yeah. And I felt like that was, for me, like when we talk about balance, this masculine and feminine energy coming together, for me that's kind of what it brings up is just to say it's not about me not being feminine. It's about defining what that means for me and allowing the masculine to be what it is and not think, okay, in order to be masculine, I have to be this idea of what it is to be a man. I have to be tough and I have to not show emotion and I have to do all these checklist things rather than say, no, my idea of masculine is that I'm, I'm high energy. I like to lead. I like, I'm in my brain, right? I'm Mm -hmm. up here. I'm up in my temple of my head a lot. Mm -hmm. I like, I like living there. Like it's, it's a place I like to be. And then it's for me, the balance is taking that right side down and also being in my, in my sacrum, in my woman and, and what that means individually for every person is going to be different, but the journey is there for each of us to figure out what that means. And I dare say that the ultimate goal is to not overly identify with one over the other, but to recognize that Shiva and Shakti have always wanted to reunite. Mm. (laughs) 
And, and I think if we can focus more on saying, how can these two parts of me find balance and harmony, then that's when I think we actually step into our power. And, and honestly, I think yogic philosophy has always been um, pretty progressive in the sense that it sees, it doesn't talk about gender, it just talks about energy mm. and that there's masculine and feminine, feminine energies that drive us. But all of us have combinations of both of them in completely unique and different ratios and proportions. And therefore, it's pretty fluid. It's quite a spectrum. And there's no, like, norm, <laughs> in my opinion. I just mm-hmm. think everybody that exists is on that spectrum and all of it's good and all of yeah. it's perfect. It's I pretty beautiful. That. Yes. When it awakens, it's quite different for... Now I will talk gender for men versus women, and I am speaking just in very general terms because there's always exceptions, right? Mm. Um, but according to these traditions, for women, it's very much connected with puberty. And when our sexual hormones start activating and and we're entering physical puberty, that's when Kundalini is is really churning and really active. And it's said in these texts that it really comes into full force when a woman becomes sexually active. And even, and even more at its pinnacle is when she gives birth. Now, let's give some context for that because in, in essence, the energy of Kundalini is about bringing things from the ethereal realm into physical form. A really effective way of demonstrating this or teaching this is to look at some like etymology of words. So think about the word maternal, which is, you know, very mother, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's also some other root words that connect in such as material and also matter, like physical matter. All of those have the same um, root word. And then let's look at the word paternal, which is associated more with the masculine side and the father side. We also get the word padre. We also get the word um, pattern. Pattern. Thank you. That's what I was trying to find. And, you know, material's great if you want to make a quilt. Um, and you could certainly improvise and try to come up with something. But how nice when you can actually combine the actual material with a pattern, and that's when you can actually create the quilt, mm-hmm. right? Now, humans are no different because... In, within the female body, we have what's called the ovum, which is like the material matter, that the actual house that we can, the building blocks, right? But what good is it without the actual blueprint? Mm-hmm. And, and who supplies the blueprint? Well, that's the, the pa- I was going to say patriarchal, but paternal would be a better word, um, offering through the sperm. And that's where we get that genetically coded blueprint mm-hmm. that needs the building blocks of the ovum and together a life is created. So again, Kundalini Shakti is very much associated with the ovum and with the, the maternal, the matter, the material. Whereas Shiva is very much the idea. This is why it's up in the crown of the head. It's like, I have the perfect idea for this <laughs> new house that I want to build. But it's never complete to just have an idea. You actually have to connect that with the Shakti energy and say, okay, now I'm going to go buy the lumber and the nails and the screws and the cement, and then I'm going to build that house. And together you get to create something. 
Um, and this is all happening inner person, like within your own being, right? This isn't about necessarily man and woman in a heterosexual. Yeah, I was gonna say for me, like that's I think about me in business or me in like, exactly. This is just <laughs> the I personal am, creation process. I am so wonderful. I have great ideas. Mm-hmm. I'll have wonderful things pop in my head, but I really need assistance, and it's work for me to bring my ideas into form, (laughs) which is a Shiva like situation. Right. And that's like, I say, I relate more to that, that masculine or that, um, what was the word you were using? Paternal side. Right. Um, and that I've always related more to. So just to like and you give a little still, credit is like I'm a woman, but yeah, I feel like... you still identify as a woman and yes. you claim that masculine side of you. And yes. it's beautiful. And there's no shame in this. Like No, the, like I just thought it was a great example yeah. to say like even in other aspects of my life, such as like creativity and things, I have great ideas, but I have a hard time... Like I'll think of something beautiful, but it's hard for me to try. And like I have a hard time picking up pen and paper or art and trying to make something. Yeah. So I was then my perfectionist is, which is up it's in your not, brain. It's not meeting the ideal. Yes. <laughs> so then I have a hard time putting it into yeah. creations. That's really cool. That's powerful. I love that you have some like real life application already with that concept. So to bring that back to this idea of how it's different, like for men and women. Well, so for a woman to then become sexually active and then to conceive and to bear a child, it it's truly like the most profound form of creation that we are capable of is to actually like make a human. Yeah. Right. Now I won't Pretty say, amazing. I won't say it's like the only way to experience Kundalini energy or in its fullest, because I think that you don't have to become a mother or a parent or give birth in order to experience its full manifestation, but it's a pretty powerful one. It's yeah. a pretty cool one. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's not, let's like not downplay that. Like I'm so sad that we sometimes do that. We kind of misunderstand how cool birth is, right? Yeah. It's like pretty epic. Um, now for men, you know, they, and again, I'm speaking in general terms because there's always exceptions, but it tends to happen later in life. Um, so f- this is often what we in the West have dubbed the midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times this is like middle-aged in your forties, maybe into your fifties, if it didn't hit you too soon. And what's happening is all of this feminine energy is surging in their body and depending on the man, and how he was conditioned in his life will kind of depend on how receptive he is to that awakening. Because sometimes um, that can feel very, very threatening to have this internal surge of softness and, mm. and um, tenderness and, and sometimes fierceness all waking up within you. And so some men react pretty like aggressively and it's like oh I will suppress this woman I will put her in her place and sometimes that ends up with having an affair or quitting their job and leaving their family like those are some extreme um, versions of that going out and buying the the Corvette and kind of trying to dominate all of the areas in his life that he feels kind of threatened by losing control they're also really great distractions. I know a lot of men mm-hmm. do tend towards distraction whenever feeling comes, right? Wow, yeah. That there's, they say a men are, have a lot of things going on in the world that just like, just being very stereotypical here, of course, that there are things like video games and porn and all of these more to distracting kind of things. And, yeah. yeah. That, well, they'll feel something, but it's something that's mm-hmm. not real. Right. 
that, but they still can feel something, but it's not too close to them. Yeah. And that's, I think that's some of those big things they do is just like to distract themselves because that's definitely a great coping. It works. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not healthy, but it works. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. To try and get away from what's trying to happen. Because if you're a man and you don't understand, you don't have language for that. And no one talks about that. Mm -hmm. No one talks about how there's a stage in your life where you're going to suddenly feel this shift and right. feel these priorities change or yeah. feel suddenly feel this desire for self-actualization. Like that would be the, yes. the modern psychology word that I would yes. say. And a lot of men have, in our world, they put themselves into this, I study hard, I go to college, I get the degree, I work the nine to five. And I and keep you my job for 50 And I keep years. my job till yeah. I'm 70. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully I've made enough to retire. But when you hit that midlife where it's like, I'm still young enough to live. And by damn, I'm going to do And I <laughs> don't want to do this anymore the way I'm doing it. And that's what's so powerful here, Katie, is that it doesn't have to be a midlife crisis. It can yeah. actually be a most beautiful midlife awakening. But here's part of the problem, because I see this both with men and women in our various experiences, is that society is not preparing us for a positive experience. We've been told to expect a midlife crisis and to expect a traumatic birth. And so we do. Yes. <laughs> and that's what we're getting. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to tell you a story about my mom and, and tie this to kind of together. When my mom experienced her period for the first time, she thought she was dying. Blood was coming out of her body and nobody had ever told her that that would be first of all, normal, or secondly, like a good thing. And so she was sobbing in the bathroom, thinking that she was about to die and finally found the courage to tell her mom. And then her mom just handed her a pad and said, oh, it's just your period, you know. Now, my own like menarche was much more positive than that because at least I had gone to the little puberty class at school and I learned that girls bleed and it's part of the system of reproduction, you know, so I had like some context of anatomy. And, and so when I did start my period, I thought, okay, I'm not dying, but I still thought it was gross. And I still thought a lot of other things, right? Mm-hmm. I still felt a lot of shame. But look how far in like one generation the experience had improved because of my education and because of everything that my mom went through. She's like, oh, I'm going to teach my daughter anatomy and she's going to know about her period. Now, here I am as a mother with a 12 year old girl who hasn't yet hit that point in her life, but I've been teaching her all along the way about uh, the reproductive system. So I'm teaching her the anatomy, but also the emotions of it. And I want Mm. her to, that when that moment comes for her, that it can also be beautiful and exciting and an adventure and kind of have the best of both worlds. And that's only one generation removed from me. And I'm seeing, wow, look how much we can engage differently with puberty just through educating a little bit differently and helping um, the, that next person coming into it, prepare a little bit better. Now think about how different it would be if we were primed for spiritual puberty, because I believe that's the essence of Kundalini Shakti. Um, puberty is actually just step one. It's phase one. It's like, yeah, let's wake up the, these creative energies in your body 
and start that process of integration with that masculine counterpart. And in that process, you're going to experience the whole spectrum of what it means to be a sexual being, the highs and the lows, Mm. the the adventures and, and the challenges, right? But I think Kundalini is trying to say, oh, but it doesn't end there. Like it's one thing to actually become a creator, but let's evolve. Like let's become the very best version of ourselves. And so if there's sexual puberty, like where we're teaching girls how to use pads and tampons, what would it look like if we actually had spiritual puberty classes? And frankly, I think that's what you and I do, Katie, with our clients. (laughs) We're like, hey, you're on this spiritual puberty path because you're pregnant and you're about to have a baby and we want to help you. We want to, we want to make this the most empowering experience that it can be. And it's about mindset. It's about how you prepare. It's about the tools that you're gathering. Because if I may, I'll just share with my first birth experience. And I did share a little bit about that in a previous episode But what was so interesting is that in my postpartum, I was basically grieving for a good like 18 months about things that had happened in my childhood. And it was very, very confusing that I would, I just had a baby. And yet, why was I processing all of this grief and trauma from things that had happened like 20 years previous or 15 years previous? And so when I read in the textbook the symptoms of of kundalini awakening, like opening up old wounds and like stirring up these old traumas and and then to see how that tied into my postpartum, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. It's, It's this combination of like kundalini awakening and having a baby and everything just opened up. And, and I think if I hadn't read that, I probably just would have continued to feel really victimized by my postpartum because it just felt like a slap in the face. It's like I'd already done all the hard work of making the baby and delivering the baby and then to just be hit with this onslaught of depression and anxiety and antisocial behaviors and all sorts of really heavy things. And I thought, what is the point of all this? This is just like the hardest thing to ask anybody to go through and what do we get out of it at the end of the day? So I felt very angry and kind of victimized by the whole experience until I began to look at it through a different lens. And I thought, you know, Kundalini is not just trying to shove all of this stuff into my face just because she just has a goal (laughs) and her goal is Shiva at the crown of my head. But I had created a blockade of emotional baggage in my gut. And anytime something would come up and like basically before I had my first baby, my coping mechanism was to suppress it down and to say, I'm not going to feel that Mm -hmm. it's too much. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to feel it. I'm just going to tuck it away. And I did that for years. (laughs) It's working. And I thought it was working pretty great. (laughs) But then remember Here's a little anatomy quiz, Katie. Where is the sacrum related, or sorry, where is the sacrum in relation to my gut? It's <laughs> my, like right there. Yeah, if my gut's right here, Your my sacrum's, sacrum's right, right below, below it. it. Mm-hmm. And then where does Shiva dwell up in the crown? Way up high. Way up high. So in order for Shiva, sorry, Shakti. Shakti to, couldn't even get off the ground. She couldn't even get off the ground. I had just shoved and shoved and shoved all of this stuff creating 
kind of like this massive tectonic plate. But here's the cool thing. Shakti is so badass and so powerful. She's a force of nature. And she won't even allow a tectonic plate to keep her from getting to her lover. Like that is the power of true love. (laughs) So essentially, I created a volcano inside of me by like pressing all of this down. She had to explode like the force of 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 a volcano to get movement, you know, just to find her way. But for me, that manifested like the aftermath of a volcano. Everything felt the sun was black and blacked out. The sky unstable. was filled with smoke. It was unstable. I had the wrath of lava. I was so angry some days and other days just in total darkness and despair. And um, if I had stayed in that space, yeah, I think birth would have been pretty sucky. <laughs> and I don't think I ever would have wanted to have more kids because it just felt like that was the worst thing I've ever been through. But the story doesn't end there because the truth of the matter is like after that 18 months of like heavy, heavy purging, I could not deny that I felt very, very different and distinctly better than I had ever felt in my entire life. And I couldn't even understand why um, until learning this language years later. But I I could look back and, and realize that my postpartum gave me this opportunity to heal. It's like it had to show me all this stuff that I was holding on to so that I could actually let them go. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like yes. it's so basic yeah. and so primary, but I can't even tell you how much I resisted that. I thought that it would kill me. I really did. I thought that to look at the emotional stuff that I was holding on to would just be the end of me. Um, and yet it was actually the beginning of the new me when I actually finally had to look at it because birth opens us up, not just physically, but it opens us emotionally. And now I see that as such a profound and sacred gift and why it catapults us into spiritual maturity, because it's like, Hey, here's your demons. You can be haunted by them the rest of your life, or you can actually just get over them and let them go. So it was a pretty amazing realization. And now it influences so much of how I work with my clients and, and engage in the whole childbirth process, because, you know, at at the end of a volcano, or let's even use like a forest fire analogy. Well, after everything has burned down, suddenly the ground is covered by the most nutrient-dense ash of the debris of these burned-down trees, Mm. and suddenly you get this massive regrowth of the new forest underneath. And to me, that's that beautiful parallel of death and rebirth kind of all wrapped up into the same package. I think that's so cool to say. I think in, like, new age spirituality, the word transformation is, like, you envision this light being of light and there's no darkness. But transformation itself is both. Yeah. You're going to have the darkness that's part of it. Everyone goes through it, unearthing it. And it'll happen over and over again because you'll meet new levels of yourself. And as you transcend, as you move upward levels, there'll be new things that need to go. Yeah. And it just never stops. And that's beautiful. And I think that's cool to say instead of saying like, oh, I'm not good enough because I'm not there yet. No, like how brave are you that you're moving upward? 
Absolutely. How brave are you that you made it through that experience, even though you struggled to let go and you struggled not to fight it and resist, but there's still bravery there. I feel that about your first birth experience and my first birth experience. Like I don't look back at that version of Katie or that version of Stephanie with like regret or judgment or any of that, but actually just like, Hey, you did the thing. She tried so hard. <laughs> she the only showed way up. She knew how the only way she the ever only way she knew how she fought and she mm-hmm. tried and she was strong and she was brave and she took the path and where it led her. And it led her to the next version of Katie the second time around, you know, like, so mm-hmm. I just see her now with just like gratitude. I'm like, thank you. You did the hard thing and got me one step closer to who I am today. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.